darkness of Christmas to kind of just sit, be still for a moment, and know that we serve God, that we follow him. Well, hey, good morning, Community Alliance Church. How are you doing today? All right, all right. Well, hey, really glad to be here with you this morning. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to join with you to open God's Word together and to learn from it. I hope that each one of you had an amazing, an amazing Christmas. My name is Joe Flores. I've been serving here at Community Alliance Church for the past five months as the pastor of operations. So for, for the time being, that makes me Joe the new guy. And... Our sound booth is right on it. So yeah, hey, I've been here for, for a very short time. In a moment, we're going to dive here into the book of Luke, chapter 2. But before we do that, I, I want to start by just sharing something with you as, as my new church family. As I mentioned, uh, about six months ago, God, God called me here from a church in Murraysville. I was working in an Alliance church, and, and I felt like he was leading me to come here and, and take the position as the operations pastor. And if, you, if you've ever moved to somewhere new, then you know that moving to a new place can be difficult, even when it's what you know God wants you to do. And I'll never forget when it hit my wife and I. It was the weekend after I accepted the position here, and we decided we would drive up to the Butler area to begin checking, checking things out. And all the way up Route 356 from Murraysville, we're talking about how excited we are and, and what this would mean for us. But then we got, got here, and as we're coming down Route 356 into Butler, it hit us. With the excitement of a new opportunity came the realization that we, we would be selling the house that we had raised our children in so far. And, and we would be leaving behind friends that we had gotten very close to. And we would be adjusting to an all-new surrounding. And you add on top of that, coming to a place where there's a thousand people to try to get to know on a Sunday morning. And to be honest with you, we were somewhat intimidated. But then we got here, and we started to get to know you. And I just want to thank you as our new church family for how you have welcomed my family and I in with your arms wide open. You, you didn't even know us. Most of you still don't even know us. Yet, somehow you've made us feel like we've been part of this place for years. And I want you to know, really, that I appreciate that. As a young guy with a young family transitioning to a new place, you have no idea how much that means to me. Thank you for that. In the time we've been here, I feel like I've gotten to know some of you, have learned some names. There are many I have not yet had the, the privilege to get to know, but in the coming months and years, I'd love to get to know everyone who calls Community Alliance Church their church home. To help you get to know me a little bit better this morning, I would like to put a picture of my family up on the screen. That's our Christmas picture from this year. I didn't realize that even though it's Christmas, you're supposed to wear a non-Christmas color so you can use that picture throughout the year. These are the types of things, guys, that you learn once you get married. Never would have thought of that. Anyhow, that's my wife, Trisha. That's my son, Easton. He's three and a half. My other little boy, Ashton, he's one and a half. I want to mention a couple things about this picture. If you're sitting in your seat this morning, you're looking up there, and you're saying, what's a girl like that doing with this guy? The answer is, I, I have no idea. It's true. I completely outpunted my coverage there. Another thing you might notice here is that little boy in the red shirt. He's not smiling. You're right again. 
not only was he not smiling, actually when the photographer snapped that picture, he was in between taking a breath so he could let out yet another violent scream. Our, our Christmas picture time, oh man, it was anything but merry. I walked out of that place that day. I thought, man, why does it have to be so stinking miserable to get pictures so that we can show people how happy we are? <laughs> I never understood that. In any case, what I am happy about is this. I'm happy to be serving here at Community Alliance Church, and I'm really happy to have the opportunity to come up here today to learn with you as we study God's Word. So we get ready to do that. Why don't we have a word of prayer? Lord, we come before you now, and we ask that you, your presence will be in this place. God, I pray that as we look at your word, that it won't be my words, it, it won't be the comments that I've come up with. God, that it'll be your Holy Spirit speaking through me, speaking through your word, opening our eyes so that we can encounter you in a way that transform our lives. God, we ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So you met my family a little over a week ago, we were in the car. We were heading down to the west side of Pittsburgh or the north side of Pittsburgh, wherever Mount Nebo Road is, to visit their aunt so that the kids could get their first Christmas presents of the season. And we're driving along in the car, and, and I'm talking with my three, three-year-old in the back, and I'm saying, Easton, you know, I don't know. I told Aunt Kristen that you want socks and underwear for Christmas. I hope she got them for you. You know, okay, I know it's cruel, right? But my dad did it to me. And I feel like I owe it to my kids to do it to them. They can do it to their kids someday. So anyhow, we're driving down the road. I'm saying, you know, Aunt Kristen probably got you clothes because that's what I told her that you wanted. And Easton's in the back seat saying, no, Dad, Dad, no. No, I want toys. I I want toys. And that's when it dawned on me. You see, Easton was very, very delayed in talking. And this would be the first Christmas where he would actually be able to express his like or his dislike for the gifts that he would receive. My my son is a very honest child. And so I began to imagine how badly gift-giving time could go. So I thought, I better coach this kid up a little bit. So I became coach dad, and I said, Easton, what do we say if we get a gift that we don't like? Right on cue, he says, I say, I don't want it. <laughs> so, so Trisha and I, for a few miles, we're talking about how it's important that even if, you don't get a, even if you get a gift that you don't like, you still have to say thank you to the person who gave it to you. We decided, you know, I think, his, I think he got it. So we asked him again, Easton, what do you say when you get a gift that you don't like? He piped up very confidently, thank you. But before he could smile, he said, but I don't want it. (laughs) That's when my wife leaned over to me and said, let's not worry about it. He's getting toys anyhow. (laughs) But since I've become a dad, you know, Christmas has taken on this new perspective for me. Because it's put me back into remembering what it was like to be at Christmas time as a child. And I, I really have to laugh. Because my son's mindset at Christmas is exactly the same that my mindset was when I was a kid. For a kid, what's it about? It's all about, did I get what I want? Did I get what I want? Kids don't care about the person who gave them the present. They know it's not about the intention behind the present. They know it's not about how much was sacrificed to buy the present. It's all about what's in that box. Is it what I want? Now, as adults, we can see the immaturity of this, right? 
We, we know that it's not, it's not what was given, but it's the person who gave the present that matters. In fact, as adults, we can probably think back to times in our lives when we had gift-giving experiences with people, with loved ones who are no longer with us. And as we, re- as we reflect back on those times, we probably don't even remember what we received, but we remember, we remember it was great to be with dad. It was ba- great to be with grandma. Man, what would it be like to encounter or experience that relationship with them one more time? As parents, we get this, right? And that's why we brave the crowds to get those presents. That's why you stay up late baking those cookies. Dads, that's why on Christmas morning, you're willing to put those some assembly required toys together. And after your first Christmas with kids, you know you better have the right batteries the next year. You take care of all that stuff. And you don't care if all that your kids give you is their finger-painted picture of your family that you're thinking, oh my goodness, I hope I don't look like that. You don't care if that's all you get because you know it's the experience with your kids. It's the relationship that you're building. It's that, it's that time together that matters most. You see, we get it. We get that it's the relationship with the person giving the gift that is so much more significant than any gift that is given when it comes to Christmas. But today I want to ask us the question, do we apply that same principle to our faith? The principle is that it's the relationship with the person giving the gift that matters so much more than receiving the gift that is given. You see, we get this, we teach it to our kids, but do we apply it to our faith in Christ? Is my relationship with Jesus more important to me than the gifts and the things that I want to get from him? This is the question I've been wrestling with as I've been preparing this message, and God's just been really challenging me. Am I pursuing Jesus, or am I pursuing what I can get from him? And and I think in our faith, many of us, at least me, can pursue answered prayers. We can pursue solved problems. We can pursue a better life. We can pursue getting things that we would like to see happen. And miss the point that it's Jesus who should be our priority. This morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 together. If you have your Bible, please flip there. And we're going to wrestle with this question together this morning. Is your relationship with Jesus more important than receiving what you can get from him? As we start out in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 21. So if you, if you look there, it will also be on the screen. I'm actually going to read it from the screen with you because my translation is a few words different. It says this, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Let me take a moment here to place this into a little bit of historical context. This story very shortly follows the Christmas story that we've just celebrated a few days ago. At this point, Jesus has been born. 
However, contrary to what we sometimes see depicted, the wise men or the magi of the Christmas story have not yet come to the scene. In fact, scholars believe that it's actually about two years after Jesus' birth that the wise men come to visit him. Actually, at this point, life for Joseph and Mary following Christmas or the first Christmas is getting back to normal. The wise men haven't come yet. King Herod hasn't begun murdering baby boys in Bethlehem. And Joseph and Mary haven't yet fled for their lives to Egypt. Much like many of you today, you just want to get back to normal now that Christmas is over. And Joseph and Mary are sort of doing that. They begin following what, the, what their Bible or what the Old Testament tells them to do. They have the baby circumcised after eight days. And then there's a time gap in between verse 21 and 22 of about 32 more days because their law said that after 40 days, 40 days after a woman gives birth to a son, she has to go through some purification rites. So 40 days later, they head down to Jerusalem One of the things they need to do there is they need to dedicate Jesus for service to the Lord. The Old Testament said that the firstborn male should be consecrated or dedicated for service to the Lord. Then Mary had to go through purification rites. Because she had given birth to a a child, she had become impure through that process, and she had to offer a sacrifice to make herself in a pure standing before God once again. It's very interesting when we see what she sacrificed here. The Bible says that Mary sacrificed two doves or two pigeons. But when you look in the Old Testament in Leviticus, the Bible actually says that for purification rites, a lamb should be sacrificed. So why doesn't Mary sacrifice a lamb here? Are they disobeying what God said? When you read on in the Old Testament, we find that if a family is too poor to afford a lamb then that family instead can offer a pair of doves or two pigeons. So Joseph and Mary didn't have enough money to buy a lamb. Isn't it interesting who God chooses to work through? That Jesus, the lamb of God, the lamb that would be sacrificed to save the world, he's born into a family that doesn't even have enough money to buy a lamb. Yet as we encounter this story, other than the fact that we learn that Joseph and Mary are, pu- are, are poor, and we learn that they're devout Jews who are obeying what God has told them to do, there's not much else out of the ordinary here. In fact, of the 30 years between Jesus' birth and the beginning of his ministry, you almost have to wonder as you're reading this, Luke, why are you writing this down? I mean, it's nice that they did what they were supposed to do, but all good Jews did that. We get our answer as we continue on here in verse 25. The Bible says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Real quick, what the consolation of Israel was, he was waiting for Israel to be restored and delivered as an independent kingdom once again. Remember, Israel at this point in history is a conquered nation living under Roman rule. And Jews were waiting for a Messiah who would come to deliver them from their conquerors and restore their kingdom. They were waiting for this deliverer to come. And it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel to come. The Bible also says that Simeon, that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. He took the baby in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Does anyone here have a bucket list? You know what a bucket list is? A bucket list is a list of things or experiences that you want to do or experience before you die. Or as the saying goes, before you kick the bucket. Now people add all kinds of crazy things to their bucket list, like bungee jumping, getting a tattoo, skydiving, learning a language, and so on and so forth. Simeon, Simeon had a bucket list. But his list was short. It was one item. He was living every day for the promise of meeting the Lord's Christ. Could you imagine that? Living for one thing. Waking up every day saying, is today going to be the day? Every time you saw a woman with a small child wondering, God, God, is that, is that the one? Is that, is that the child? Finally, 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 after waiting, the day came. We don't know how Simeon knew which child was the Messiah. The Bible doesn't tell us. All we need to know is that he knew that Christ. Hello? Okay. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And he goes, he goes through the temple courts, he, guided by the Holy Spirit. He comes up to these brand new parents, okay? So if you're a brand new parent, right? We, if I was there. You know, when you have a brand new baby, you don't want anybody touching your baby. You dress them all kinds of clothes in the summertime because people like to grab them and, and touch them. You know, if you've gone to touch a baby, maybe the mom pulled out a, a bottle of Purell and said, okay, you're going to need to bathe in this first, then you can touch the child. So here's Joseph and Mary. They're in temple courts, and this person that they do not know comes up and takes up the baby Jesus in his arms. And I, can you imagine what they're thinking? They're probably thinking, sweet goodness, God gave us one task, raise this baby, and now we've let the Son of God get stolen by a crazy man. What are we going to do? But then Simeon begins to talk, and, and he says this. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for I have seen, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon begins to speak of what this child will do. He speaks of hope. He speaks of salvation. He speaks of light into darkness. He speaks of a changed world. He says, this child will change the world through him. Through him, God has promised better times are coming. Better times are coming. He says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised. He says, as you have promised, I have met Jesus. I have experienced him. I have looked into his eyes. I've held him. In my arms, I know what it's like to be touched by Jesus, and I know what it's like for him to touch me. I have been in his presence. And then what Simeon says next is just so interesting to me. He speaks of all the great things that this baby Jesus is going to bring to the world. He speaks of the results, the blessing, the benefit. But then what he says next is so interesting. He says, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
Let, let me explain it like this. I, I have a bucket list. I, I'd like to say my bucket list is as spiritual as Simeon's. It's not. A lot of my bucket list revolves around food. And a week or two ago, I had the opportunity to cross one of the items off the list. You see, for years, I've been hearing about these amazing places called Brazilian steakhouses, where they bring meat, steak, good meat, around on giant skewers, and you can eat as much as you want. Got a call a month ago from a buddy who said, hey, we're going to get friends together. We're going to go to this place. And I was like, yes. Not only will I get to cross the list, item off my list, I'm a big list guy. I like to take things off the list, but I get to eat as much steak as I can. So we're, we're, it wasn't just about going, it was about the build-up to it. For weeks, I talked about it. I talked about it to my wife so much that she was like, let's just go tonight so we can get this over with. I am sick of hearing about meat. The day of, you, you don't just go, you've got to prepare. Okay, you've got to eat the right amount of food the day you go to something like that. You don't want to eat too much because you'll ruin your appetite, but you can't starve yourself because your stomach will shrink and you won't be able to eat as much as you would like to eat. I think this stuff through. (laughs) And so we go, and we get in the car, and I can't wait, and then we walk in, and we open the doors, and the smell just hits you. It's like wood-fired steak just grilling, and oh, my goodness. And and I walk in, though. I have to keep focused, and I look around, because they have a plan. They have a salad bar with bread and stuff. And I wasn't going to be tricked, right? They want you to eat that, so you can't eat very much steak. Immediately, I walked in, I identified the threat, and I said, I will not eat that salad. (laughs) None for me. It looks good, and I'm hungry, but I will not have bread. I will not have salad. And I certainly will not order pop. Water only for this guy. We're going to eat meat and meat alone. So, you know, they start bringing the food, and and they try to trick you with the garlic bread, but I was too smart for that. I just, thank you. And it's just so enjoyable. Would you like filet, sir? Yes, I'll have that. Would you like steak wrapped in bacon? Yes, I'll have that. Some of that would be good. Would you like prime rib? Yes, yes, please. That would be good. Lamb chops? Certainly. And it's amazing, right? You know, uh, and, and I ate, as, I enjoyed it. I experienced what it was like to eat all that food. And they actually give you this little uh, coaster with a green side and a red side. It's pretty simple. If the green side's still up, keep bringing meat. When you put the red side up, Stop. So I had eaten as much as I thought I could eat, and I was about to, you know, just fall out of the chair, put the red side up, and then they brought me the bill. And I looked at what it cost, and I said, let's put that green side back up. I think I, I can eat some more. But, you know, it, 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 was, it was the buildup. It was the excitement of being able to go and then to actually go through with and experience the benefit of, of all that steak. And, and, and what it would have been like if I, if I had built up, I had been prepared, I'd been ready. I walked up to the doors, opened the door, and I smelled it, and I said, oh, that smells delicious. All right, let's go home and have peanut butter and jelly. It would feel like I got there, but I didn't experience it. And when I was reading this passage, I thought about Simeon. Simeon, he, he meets Jesus, and he talks about all the great things that Jesus can do, but it felt like he didn't really ask to experience it. And then that's what it hit me. For Simeon, it wasn't about the things that Jesus could bring to him. It was about encountering Jesus himself. It wasn't about all the good things that Jesus could do, the hope and the salvation and the light for the Gentiles. Those are good things. 
But for him, it was about his relationship with Christ. He encountered Christ. He said, I, I, I've met you. It's not that he didn't care about the results. He's not like he didn't believe that those promises wouldn't come to fruition. But for him, once he met Jesus, once he had Jesus in his life, the other stuff just didn't matter as much. It was all about Jesus for him. And that's the part that really gets me. Are we there with Simeon? In my life, in your life, is it about experiencing Jesus or is it about getting the things that you think he can give you? Am I pursuing Jesus in my life or am I just pursuing answers to prayer? Am I pursuing what he can do for me, the purpose that he can give me, the problems that he can solve? And when prayer isn't answered, when healing doesn't come, when I don't get my way, and when God doesn't do what I think he should do, do I say, Jesus, you're enough. You're all I need. You're all I want. Or do I say, what good is Jesus anyhow? See, people seek Jesus for many reasons, for many good reasons. They seek him for healing, for peace, for purpose, salvation, forgiveness, problem solving, a place to belong, and the list could go on. These are all good things to pursue, and I believe that the Bible says these are things that God wants us to have, but we have to realize that Jesus doesn't give us these gifts just so that we can experience the gift. He doesn't give us salvation for salvation's sake. He doesn't give us forgiveness for forgiveness sake. He doesn't give us purpose for purpose sake. He gives us these things that stem from a relationship with him because he wants these gifts to bring us back to the feet of the giver so that in acknowledging what he's done for us, we fall at his feet and say, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, even if I didn't have all these things from you, you're all I want. And the question I've been wrestling with is, is that enough for me? If I didn't have all the other stuff, would Jesus be enough for me? Perhaps no one captured this idea better than A.B. Simpson, who is the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. In 1891, he wrote, the, he wrote a song called Himself. The song has five stanzas. I'm not going to read them all to you. I certainly won't be singing anything to you this morning. But I do want to share the first verse and chorus with you as he talks about how his relationship with Jesus had changed. You can follow along on the screen. Simpson wrote, Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, Jesus will I sing. Everything in Jesus and Jesus everything. Why is it critical that we reach a place in our faith where Jesus is our everything and our only thing? Why is it critical that our relationship with Jesus as the giver is more important than the gifts that we receive from him? It's because sometimes the gifts that he wants to give us, the gifts that we're called to receive from him, may not be what we want. And when the gifts don't make sense to us, our faith in the giver has to be greater 
than our faith just in the gifts. When we don't receive what we do want and instead receive what we do not want, we have to have a faith in the giver that says, Jesus, as long as I have you, I have all that I need. You are enough. Two people that were learning what this would mean for their lives and who were going to continue to learn that were Joseph and Mary. And as they're having this encounter with Simeon, and he's explaining what Jesus would do, Simeon then begins to explain what happens in a person's life when they encounter Jesus. The final portion of our passage this morning, we arrive at in Luke chapter 2, verse 33. It says this, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and turns his attention to Mary, and his mother, and says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He talks about the falling of many. He talks about a sign that's going to be spoken against and then the clincher he says is going to be like a sword piercing your soul. This isn't the puppies and roses picture that we often see depicted of this baby. Simeon's talking about the conflict and the controversy that Jesus is going to bring. In fact, Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible called The Message, puts it this way. He says, This child marks both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel. A figure misunderstood and contradicted. The pain of a sword thrust through you, but the rejection will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. Put simply, when we encounter Jesus, we cannot, make, we cannot stay the same. When you encounter Jesus, he wants you to be different. Jesus is a polarizing figure, even today, who when you experience him says, are you for me or are you against me? Here's the line. What side are you on? Are you pursuing me or are you running from me? Think about the people in scripture who encounter Jesus. They don't walk away and say, he was a really nice guy. Think about Zacchaeus. He is a crooked tax collector who's gotten rich off of stealing money from people. One day he sees Jesus, and before that day's over, Zacchaeus is saying, here, here I stole from you. Here's four times what I took from you. It's what Jesus wants me to do. He's changed my life. Think about the day Jesus died. He's on the cross being killed. There's a thief beside him. That thief encounters Jesus, and before that conversation's over, the thief says, I just want to spend paradise with you. The Roman soldier at the foot of the cross who is in charge of making sure that Jesus dies, before his day's over, he's looking up and saying, this man's the son of God. Jesus changes people. The apostle Paul hated Christians. He hated them. He made it his mission. He was a rising star in the Jewish ranks. He made it his mission to persecute Christians. One day he's on a road going to Damascus. He meets Jesus and his life changes dramatically from that day forward. Instead of persecuting Christians, he begins to be the chief proclaimer of the gospel message to the Gentiles. He met Jesus and Jesus radically changed him. Others, the change isn't as positive. If you think about the Jewish leaders, what happened to them when they met Jesus? They had had many years of comfortability atop the religious hierarchy. Along comes Jesus. He wasn't just a good teacher to them. 
He was one who was dividing people. And in their mind, these good religious people decided, you know what, this person needs to be killed. And so when they met Jesus, they chose to murder him. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same. When you encounter him, he's going to want to make changes in your life. He's going to want things to be different. He's going to want to make you uncomfortable. And what Simeon's saying here about the sword and the falling of many and the sign that will be spoken against is that when you encounter Jesus, that process becomes difficult. It's challenging. It's uncomfortable. And frankly, at times, it's offensive to you when you realize what Jesus really does want for your life. He doesn't want some kind of transactional relationship with you where he's a service provider and you're a customer. And as long as he keeps giving you what you want, you'll keep coming back and giving him your business. He doesn't want your business. He wants your heart. And he wants an active transformational relationship where because you encounter him, you become different. Let, Let me try to explain it this way. Remember, simple mind, simple example. I brought with me this morning a brand new tube of toothpaste, right? Now, there's nothing like, there's nothing like a tube of toothpaste. Brand new, out of the box. Here's what I like about it. It's all shiny. I like shiny things, I guess. It's got a nice shape. It doesn't have all that yucky toothpaste gunk around the, around the nozzle. And the best thing about a new tube of toothpaste is that when you squeeze it, you don't have to squeeze very hard and you get all the toothpaste you want. It's really nice. The thing is, toothpaste tubes are not designed to look nice. They're not designed to sit on your sink so you can walk into the bathroom and say, look at my nice shiny tube of Crest. Tubes of toothpaste are designed to produce toothpaste which kills stinky breath and cleans your teeth. But in order to get the toothpaste out of the tube, what do you got to do? You can't leave it the same. You got to squeeze it, right? Some of you are really neat, organized people, and the fact that I'm squeezing from the middle is driving you crazy. (laughs) You got to pressure it. You got to push it. You got to bend it. And then to get that last little bit out, you know how it works. You take the end and you fold it, and you fold it, and you fold it until all the toothpaste is out of the tube. And when you're done, what does the tube look like? It's not pretty and shiny like it was before. It's now all crunched up, bended, folded, out of shape. But here's the thing. We all get this when we brush our teeth in the morning. You can keep your brand new looking nice tube of toothpaste, but inside you're going to have stinky breath and dirty teeth. And if you want to kill the stinky breath and clean the teeth, if, if you want the toothpaste to accomplish what it was designed to do, it has to be pressured, it has to be squeezed, it has to be twisted. And as the band comes out this morning and as we close, here, here, I want to ask you a real simple question. Which, which one do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? Maybe, maybe you'll say this morning, look, you know what? I, I, I want to look good on the outside. You know, I want to keep Jesus at arm's length. I don't want him getting too close. I don't want him pressuring me. I don't want him squeezing me. Look, I, I'm happy to look good. 
I'm happy to be shiny and comfortable. I'm happy to come to church. I'll, I'll give you an hour. I'll sit through some singing. I'll listen to you talk. I might even volunteer here or there. I might throw a few bucks in the plate. But when Jesus wants to start making changes, that's when I want out. I really just want a transactional relationship. When he meets my needs, I'm happy to be there. But if he starts trying to change me too much, I don't want that. I want to stay shiny and nice on the outside. And if that's what you want this morning, I can't force you to change. No one's going to hold a gun to your head. No one's going to make you be different. We're going to love you and we're going to say, hey, you're welcome back any Sunday. But all I ask from you is be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and say, this is where I'm at. And be honest with God. You can't fool him anyhow. But maybe this is you this morning. You say, you know what? I just want to encounter Christ. I want to be like Simeon. I want to meet him and I want to say, look, Jesus, if I meet you and if I have you and experience you, that's all I need. The, the, the other stuff you promised, that's wonderful and I'm thankful for it, but you're my first desire. You're my priority. Is that you this morning? You say, I just want to encounter Christ. I just want to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. If that's you, then this is the challenge that I give to you. Thursday is New Year's Day. On New Year's Day, everyone makes a resolution. We want to lose weight, get healthier, kick some habit. My challenge to you is that New Year's Day 2015, your resolution, your one and only resolution for the year, be that this year I'll do whatever it takes and I'll let Jesus do whatever he has to do for me to experience him in a deeper, more intimate way. That's all I want. If you're willing to make that commitment, then I ask you to just say today to Jesus, all I want is you. The band's going to play a song here, and we're going to close singing together. But I want to say this. Most Sundays, we offer prayer up front. If you would like to pray, have something prayed for, anything that's on your heart, we say, come on up and pray. And we're going to certainly do that in the future. But today, I want to do something a little different. If you would like prayer today, that this year you will encounter Jesus in a way that you've never encountered him before, and you say, I'll do whatever it takes, just pray for me that I will meet Jesus, that I will know him, that my relationship with him will be so much more important to me than the things that I can get from him. If you want prayer for that, while we sing the song together, come forward. Don't wait for the song to end. Come forward. Pastors, elders, if you're here, also come forward to pray with folks. Do you want to say to Jesus, I want you to be mine enough? You stood 